Hey guys, before we get started today, just a heads up, uh, Nick's interview, he cuts out about halfway because um, he was walking his dog and I guess his phone connected to his Wi-Fi and then when he came out, the signal kind of just dropped. But uh, don't worry if something cuts out, it doesn't mean that your phone's not working, just let the sound keep going and you'll enjoy the interview. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Nick Tuminello. Say hello. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Appreciate you having me. No problem. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Just finished a busy day. I still work with clients, you know, part-time as a trainer. I was always speaking between all the speaking and things I do, so I had a full day of clients today. Awesome. Any big plans for the weekend? Yeah, I have a... Uh, mentor private mentorship i'm running saturday and sunday with a trainer down here got going to cirque du soleil local cirque du soleil show traveling cirque du soleil show on saturday night and then playoff football on sunday that's a busy weekend that's awesome what yeah. uh, what show for the cirque du soleil are you watching uh you know i can't remember what the name of it is right now but it's this it's like a steampunk kind of theme oh interesting um yeah yeah, because we, I just watched, I think it was last month, they came to Vancouver and they had um, an Avatar theme. That was pretty sweet. Oh, I saw that one already. That was amazing. Yeah, I've seen that one. Sweet. Uh, so let's just jump right into it and tell the audience who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Well, people haven't heard me in other interviews before. I'm trying not to repeat too many things. Um, Nick Tominello, I won NSCA Personal Trainer of the Year this year which is uh, quite an honor for me. Uh, I owned a private gym in Baltimore, Maryland for 10 years. Uh, started it in 2001, had that till 2011. Um, around 2007, I started, and I worked with everybody from MMA fighters to figure girls to everyday Joes and Janes to NFL players. Um, primary bed and, bu- bread and butter was still personal training clients, some post rehab. And uh, gradually, 2007, my first article was published on T Nation, and that really kind of spawned into doing more article writing and doing DVDs or now digital down product downloads, um, you know, speaking around the world and mentorships and things like that. Books, two books. Awesome. Uh, so I was going to get uh, you to touch on this. Like when I was reading on your website that you never went to college or got a degree and you just kind of jumped right into training, do you think that, you know, a formal education of like a kinese degree or a human kinetics degree is something important for a coach or can you kind of get into the industry with doing informal education? Um, well, I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience and then also the people that I know. I can certainly say, I'll certainly say this, that um, I, I, you can certainly be a very competent trainer and not have had a formal education from the, in the college sense. Uh, that I can certainly say. I will tell you that the people at the at the area arenas of, that I, you know, presenting at, you know, some of the higher end conferences and things like that nature, I'm in the minority when it comes to someone who doesn't have a degree. So, um, I would say it's probably going to be a little tougher if you're looking to do a lot more presenting and things. Um, but you know, like everything else, you know, it's not about your age. It's about your accomplishments, right? It's about your ideas. Uh, so it's not about your degrees either. Um, so eventually your body of work, you know, can speak for itself, but it may be a little bit more difficult to get that going if you're looking to become more credible in the speaking realm if you don't have that degree. 
but you can certainly be a, a very, you know, extremely competent and a successful trainer without one. Yeah, like personally, like I don't have a degree. Like I just kind of got into training because that's what I really wanted to do. And clients always ask me, like, you know, why don't you just go and go get your kinesi degree? And I'm like, well, I'd be doing the same thing, and I would save myself a lot of money. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but um, I like again, like I saw a lot of trainers through the years who've had kinesi degrees, and they had no personality and couldn't connect with a another person while they were training but they had all this knowledge so it's kind of twofold yeah i don't know like um i guess like what you're saying like if you're going to go speak at high or high-end conferences and everyone has a phd or doctorate doctorate then yeah i guess it's important but i don't like i think it always comes down to like how you can connect with another individual and also give them safe exercises and get them to their goal absolutely um, so what's kind of like your training philosophy when it comes to weight loss and fat loss? Like, what do you recommend for people and how do you take from, you know, a brand new client to where they want to be? Well, training philosophy for fat loss is really summarizing what I made the thrust of my book, Strength Training for Fat Loss. And I'm not making that a plug. It's just that's really what I wrote the book on. And the thrust of it is that muscle is the shape of your body, right? So when women talk about being toned or guys talk about being ripped they're really talking about you know developing the shape of their body muscle so it's doing strength training to you know develop that but it's also being in a caloric deficit and watching the diet watching your diet making sure you're eating plenty of quality calories the calories that you're eating so use that to reveal your shape so use strength training as emphasize strength training let me say to improve the shape of your body and focus on quality of calories and not overeating calories to improve that shape. Um, cardio, I'm not against it. Uh, I'm actually not, you know, probably less against it. A lot of people are. I'm not saying it doesn't it makes you fat or anything like that. That's I don't think that's true. Um, but it's certainly not something that people need to emphasize um, in their programs. And we have some good research to demonstrate that. Yeah, because like a lot of people, like they'll go on whatever website and they'll start searching that, like, oh, for fat loss, I need to be doing like slow, steady cardio every single day to get there and they end up doing it and they're not really seeing the result that they hope for. Sure. Um, well, the, so if I can get into this a little bit, I, I mentioned again in my, in my book here, but I mentioned this in my book, but there are studies that demonstrate when cardio is compared to strength training inter interventions or com combination interventions, cardio and strength, the cardio is superior in the short term for fat loss. So we might sound like I'm contradicting myself now talking about research. Here's the thing. Um, what that, the reason that, that that shouldn't be a surprise is because cardio burns more calories per, tends to burn more calories per minute than strength training does. So, yeah, so you may have burned 400 calories as opposed to 150 calories from the strength training. Here's two problems. Well, okay, you, you don't eat the 300-calorie bagel and you do the strength training and you're exactly at the same place minus the cardio. You see, but what the cardio doesn't give you, it doesn't give you this, all the resistant, the additional health uh, and physique resistance training benefits. So it goes back to what I was saying. Instead of doing cardio to be in a caloric deficit, eat in a caloric deficit. That way you're not trying to offset calories. Um, and then focus on strength training as your primary source of exercise. That being said, um, if cardio wants to be sort of an extra you know, as a supplement, burn a few extra calories here or there, do it on active recovery days, then I'm all for that. 
but making it this primary idea that I just got to go on a restrictive diet and then I got to up my cardio and bore the crap out of myself and then restrict myself. This is normally what people do and it's not, that's a flawed approach in the long term. Yeah, it usually doesn't work out, especially now, like with the New Year's resolution people, they all hop on a treadmill five days a week and eat at a restrictive like diet and then they end up hating it, feeling crappy about themselves and they just go right back to where they were. Correct. Yeah. And that's, and that, and you know what, it's not, it's not their fault in the sense that that is just what has been accepted as in the, in the mainstream as this is just what you do, you know, and it's not going to go away. Uh, it's just too large of an idea. It's a flawed idea. Uh, it's what I call zombie ideas. Zombie ideas are the ideas that no matter how many times you knock them down, they keep coming back alive again. Um, they keep getting up and come back alive again. So, um, and then they get this idea that, well, this exercise stuff is just not for me, you know? Um, but what they really don't understand is they're following a flawed technology. They're flying the fault approach. Yeah, I've been asking this question to a couple people lately. Is like, do you feel like the fitness industry is kind of failing the general public to give them good information that's you know ready available out there? Not at all. It's interesting. You bring up a, something that I've I've been doing these little commentary videos that I post on Facebook and things like that. And um, one of the ones I want to do is on this common thread I, I constantly see that's uh, among trainers they always say oh well you know we've failed them because there's more trainers than ever and there's more gyms than ever and there's more healthy place to eat than ever but yet there's more obesity than ever and whatnot um so i this is a i'm going to address a broader question than than yours no and here's why i say that we haven't failed um the, the fitness industry itself is because there's not a person who's probably over the age of 10 years old uh, you know, who lives a fairly urban life, who doesn't know that, you know, it's probably healthier to eat a, a chicken and salad than it is to eat candy and, uh, you know, a soda, right? So, yeah. and they also understand and they appreciate the benefits of doing, you know, ec- regular exercise. Well, who has been pushing that agenda? Well, fitness professionals, you know, the, the exercise industry. Uh, I mean, I can tell you that my dad's generation and my dad's parents' generation certainly weren't as aware of all the massive health benefits of exercise. I mean, yeah, there was the jack lanes of the world, but it, they were certainly much more ignorant to what they were eating and lifestyle factors than we are now. Well, who's that for? That's for people putting information out there. So there's no lack of knowledge, and that's what we have done. The problem is there's a lack of behavior. Yes, you can start changing. There's strategies that can be um, implemented to better help people better change their behavior to use the information that they know so that's where things are kind of now but that's how things evolve you know you you plug one hole but then another hole springs that's just kind of how life normally works you know so that's where we're at right now but there's no shortage of information and that's the initiatives that's been going on so we haven't been failing that way and um the last thing i'll say is that there's always going to be conflicting information because it's a free market of ideas uh, I, you know, I certainly don't want anybody policing what I say, and I don't think you do either. Yes, it is unfortunate that it means there's going to be bad ideas out there, but it just means people, just like they need to be responsible for their own daily res- decisions of what they put in their mouth and exercise and or don't exercise, they need to be responsible for becoming informed consumers. You know, there's only so much that somebody else, an advocate or a 
or a leader in something or an information provider, there's only so much that somebody can do, right? It's kind of the lead the horse to water concept. Yeah, like I can only imagine for like an average person, they probably in their lifetime has bought maybe five to 10 books on different diets and detoxes and training philosophies. And then they go on Facebook or Instagram and there's more information about how to lose that 10 pounds. But for some reason, they're not getting there. And like you said, it's probably that they just need to change a habit or two or change their behavior and how they look at it and just keep to one thing and do it for a long period of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I can kind of run off on a little small thing here, sure. Um, there's always been a stigma and this goes beyond weight loss. This is anything to do with exercise, you know, strength training, whatever, but there's always been a stigma of exercise that has been connected to, or sorry, it's a connection of exercise and crazy stuff. I mean, let's go back, you know, you've seen these old footage in the twenties of the strong circus strong man getting shot with a cannonball in his belly, right? He was the strong man guy. Yeah. You know, you go in the fifties and there's a video of these women getting shaken, like, you know, with those shaker machines around their hips yeah. or whatever. Um, you go before that and it's, um, in the, in the, uh, wild west, you have the snake oil salesman, right? Selling mm-hmm. the elixirs, yep. you know, the magic potions. So that is really just part of the history of health and fitness is just wacky stuff that people just, so when anytime you say something that's a little bit, even if it sounds a little out of whack, people almost expect that that is what is, what is done because that's just what's been always associated with it. It's kind of an interesting way to look at it too, which is why I think people are more readily able to accept gadgets and, you know, wrapping this around your body and doing this thing. And, uh, otherwise intelligent people, I was saying this to a client the other day, Otherwise, intelligent people go into the gym or read diet books or read exercise, and they just lose their minds. You know what I mean? They just do really silly things like put the treadmill on its highest incline but hold on to the railing and lean back. So they're basically offsetting the whole incline they put themselves on. You know, that that could be a shoulder surgeon doing that. You know, so someone who understands mechanics, but when it comes to exercise, they just lose their mind. Yeah, it's like um, when the shake weight came out, I was reading about it, and it was like the number one most bought item on TV sales ever. And I'm like, holy crap, this is either because people think it's really stupid and they want to get one, or people actually think they're going to like change their whole body in 30 days by using the shake weight. Yeah, I actually think that was like the ultimate gag gift ever, but um, I, I'd probably be wrong about that. I, I, I bet there's a lot of people that really were like, I could do that. And it's kind of silly, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so if you had to, like, coach someone with bad nutrition habits, like, what would your approach be? Would it be like, here's a meal plan, this is what I want you to follow, or do, like, a habit approach, like how Precision Nutrition does it, or get them to count calories and macros and things like that? Like, how do you start with a person with that stuff? Um, I'm going to give you a direct answer, but let me give you just a philosophical answer first that that will set this table for the answer that I'm going to, the practical <laughs> answer I'm going to provide you. Okay. I am not the, the person who, um, is a, uh, what's the word I'm going to, I'm going to look for. So a lot of people, I get often asked like, Oh, well, how do you, what, what do you, how do you hold your clients accountable? What do you do for account? Accountability, and you know, do you keep up with them? And I go, no, 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 and no. All right. So I only serve as somebody who provides answers to questions that people are, you know, are are are, are open for me to provide to. So 
I'm actually on the side of where the select clients that I work with are someone who are already who are already bought in and who are already doing things. So for example, you know, they're already doing the I'm eat writing, I'm trying to eat right an exercise, and I'm the guy that comes in and they're already taking a shotgun approach to it, and that's kind of getting them gotten them so far. And I help make it more of a laser beam. All right. And that's mainly from a programming perspective. So, you know, I am not the type of person who works with the with the person who's just trying to go from eating you know, drinking, uh, you know, Coke to a few diet Cokes a day as the one behavior change kind of concept. That's not really my type of client. Um, so with that being said, all I really do is I basically take, this is where I got the chapter of that strange train fat loss book, the nutrition chapter. I basically take that chapter since it's been edited and refined and I have copies of it and I just give it to people and I go here, read this. This is everything I could possibly, you know, I think is relevant, maybe a few little small things. And um, I just try to tell them, look, you know, focus on the quality of foods because high nutrient dense foods tend to be lower in calories. Try to focus on getting, you know, make make uh, the the fibrous carb and the protein the biggest part of your plate. And then, you know, whatever rest you can put other veggies or starches or whatever. Try to make, you know, if you look at every meal as a decision you know, I know people don't like to put emotional things, good and bad or whatever, but I've just found that people tend to resonate to people. I would tend to resonate with those, those terms don't. So my approach to nutrition behavior change is, is a lot less, um, I would say fine tuned than a lot of people are right now. I know the whole movement of the field has gone into a lot of behavior change. I really haven't moved in that direction, not because I reject any of the research. The research is really good. But the type of client that I work with is not someone who really is in need of behavior change. The, peop- the most type of common client that I have is kind of a pre-selected client for somebody who is already eating well, already focusing on their training, and just wants to fine-tune their programming. They want leadership and program design. So, you know, I'm not dealing with the person who I just need to get, you know, to transition from drinking soda to diet soda more often as like their one small behavior change or going from a few diet sodas to, or, you know, or going from soda to iced tea or something like that. So that's really not my type of clients. But that would be, so with that being said, I'm really not the best guy to come to when it comes to those things. I provide information for people. And I say, here, look, this is a general framework for you to follow. I'll help them maybe, you know, they'll say, well, how about what I, would this be a good meal? Would that be a good meal? Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. It sounds about right. You know, focus on most pro- mostly protein, mostly fibrous veggies, all the basic stuff. Um, you know, try to increase the, uh, the, the density of the calories you're eating. Most people know what, what, you know, was considered nutrient dense foods or whole foods. Um, but I don't push it so much. You know, I, I'll ask people. What are you doing? And but after a while, if they don't seem to be changing it, I just go, okay, well, you know, you don't want to do it. You know, with what can I do to help you? And well, but there's only so much information you can give people. So I am, I guess, I am a little bit hardcore, a little bit more hardcore when it comes to I do put responsibility on my clients, and I don't always just put it on myself. That oh, I got to give them a better strategy of behavior changes. No, you know, like you, these are decisions you make. If you really want to do it, you'll find a way to do it. Um, plain and simple, but let's just start with success first, you know, and not overwhelm yourself in doing it. But it's about as far as I take it, really. It sounds like you have like an all-star team of clients. (laughs) 
Well, it's not an all-star team of clients. It's just the fact that I don't market myself to the individual who's that baseline beginner type, oh, I need motivation, I don't know where to begin type people. They're not they're better they're not better off coming. I tell them, I go, look, you need a you need a shotgun. You know, you need a, a group X class with, with an instructor who's got half a brain, you know, and then you just need to start eating a you know, focus on just eating a little bit better. You know, I'm a laser beam when it comes to program design. You know what I'm saying? So that's really where I, my it's, I just it's just knowing my strengths and my specialty and, and obviously that narrows the focus of the clients that I that I bring in. Definitely. I always find it interesting with like clients and you start peeling off like layers of why they want to lose weight. But at the same time, they're like, I'm not going to change my eating. And I'm like, that's fine. But just know that most likely you're not going to lose the 10 to 20 pounds that you want without changing your eating. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I'm, I see, and this is where I, like I said, I'm probably just really, I give bad answers to this kind of stuff because, uh, I, I just don't, I want to help people, but I only care as much as they're willing to allow me to. They have to help me. So I don't heart people. You know, I'm not going to be a nag person who's always like, what did you eat today? What did you do? If that's the type of client for me, I'm going to go, you're going to go somewhere else. You know, I, that's not the, the type. I don't, I'm, I'm not a cheerleader. I'm not a nag. You know, I'm not here for that. I'm here to give you leadership and program design. And, uh, and help guide you in the right direction. But if you're just going to keep staying there, then I'm just going to stop asking you about it and we'll, we'll train. You know what I'm saying? But, I, but I'm yeah. not going to keep, I'm not going to keep running, running around like that. And, um, you know, if that's the case, then you need to go somewhere else. Maybe someone else wants to do that. I don't, no, I don't I'm, not, I'm not insulting those clients. It's just not what I want to do. No, it totally makes sense. Cause like, it's tough to coach and train somebody where, you know, you want to give them all this information, you want them to succeed and then they're just like, eh, I guess. And you're like, okay. And it's tough to like keep going on them, and you don't see any kind of progression. And they could even stay with you for a full year and not lose a pound, and they just go through the motions every week, week in, week out, and then month to month, and you're like, what are you actually doing? Well, but see, uh, that's where I... I see that I've had this conversation before, too, where... We often look at if you are not, uh, you know, increasing, you know, if your back's not getting bigger or your deadlift's not getting bigger or your weight's not going down, then what, to use your words, what are you doing? Well, I'll say what you're doing. You're you're maintaining a good levels of health and fitness. You know, part of part of exercise is also weight management. So I think the middle ground, which is the most realistic for most people. Um, is the thing that us trainers tend to forget. And the problem is we get confused because the clients, see, this is another problem with the stigma of exercise in the public. All people know to ask for when they come to the fitness professional is physique or performance related. When I say physique, it's either building muscle or losing fat or somewhere both. But it's aesthetics. Uh, And yes, everybody wants to look better. I get it. But that's that's what they all they think to know to ask for, but we forget about the general health and fitness benefits, longevity, stress relief, you know, reduction in all cause mortality, you know, trying not to die as early from disease, you know, who cares about that, right? So we don't talk about that as much. So what happens is, as the clients work with us, sure they asked for fat loss or weight loss, or they grab their belly or whatever, 
But as it plays out, as it really gets into the nitty-gritty of what happens there, they realize, you know what, I have no interest in organizing my life differently. You know, more, I don't want to spend more time in my kitchen and meal prep and, you know, do all this. Like, I'm just exercising for stress relief and to maintain my health. Like, uh, I'm not trying to be a gym rep. So they become a fitness client. So it's not, what are you doing? So no, now we have a better idea of who you are and why you're here. And it's not what we, what you came in asking for. That's okay. Cause you didn't know any better. Yeah. Like, uh, over the years training with clients, like the ones that come in and say, I just want to feel better and I just want to move better. And I'm like, that's great. And when they just focus on just feeling better, you know, their weight loss goal that they might have in the back of their head will just come naturally because they're not thinking about it. And sometimes that happens with a lot of stuff with life is you're not thinking about this one thing constantly. It might just happen if you're focusing on another thing, which is kind of interesting to me. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, now I do think it's kind of circling around it, you know, what's trainer's fault and whatnot. I do think it's some of our fault is not, is trainers have cared less and less about health and more about either physique or performance. Um, and that's the reason being is most trainers themselves care about either physique or performance. And therefore that's pushed on their clients that we've, we've stopped. We've forgotten about health. Now, do you think like that, um, phrase that some trainers use that, you know, my client's lazy has any truth to it? Or do you think the trainers lost sight of what's actually important? Uh, that depends on the individual. Um, there's certainly some lazy ass people around there. You know, I, I would just say also, I mean, it's like, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to get into this here, but it's like not every kid has ADD who doesn't do well in school. You know, like yeah. I didn't have ADD. I was just a C student. I just didn't give a shit. There's certain classes I just didn't care about. You know, I cared about playing, reading what I wanted to read. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Some, there are some people who just don't want to put the work in It's or it's not as important to them as it's important to us. Now that, with that being said, I would say for the average, especially like a kid population, I would say for an adult population, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just explain something out of way to somebody. What I would say is that it's us not understanding that they want, that they're not in the gym for the same reason that we're in the gym. You know, they are not chasing deadlift numbers and they're not chasing a bigger back. Yeah. Everybody would love to look like, you know, uh, magic Mike, you know, yeah. every dude, but, but what they really don't want to do is all the stuff that's involved with it. And when it comes down to it, they're like, nah, I'm not willing to make those kind of sacrifices. So that's not lazy. That's just a re a refinement of priorities. And so I have a little saying, you can only be elite at life in one thing. No, I'm not saying you can't be good at multiple things in life, but you can only be elite at one thing. And, you know, most of the people who are just coming to us for health and fitness purposes, it's not because they don't, they're not lazy or they or they're not, you know, staying on their diet as much because they're not disciplined. It's just that they're not trying to be elite gym rats, you know, and have a gym rat goal, a performance goal or whatever, you know, train for a something race or something competition or whatever. They're just there for the health of it. Um, they want to be an elite doctor or lawyer or mom or dad or whatever their 
job is, and everything else is secondary to them, including exercise. To us, we we literally live in a gym. You know, yeah. so it's easy to make that a priority to us. Yeah, I think a lot of young coaches, especially, they get into this industry and then they get a new client. They're like, "All right, let's get your back squat numbers up, your deadlift numbers up," and the client's looking at you like, "Hey, I just want to like start exercising. What what are you talking about?" Yeah, 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 for sure. So, I mean, I would say it's more the trainer's fault for not relating to the client of where they are and trying to make, trying to put their values on on the client. But uh, I'm certainly not going to undermine the fact that there are just some people who are just naturally like, eh, no, you know, <laughs> yeah. probably are a little bit lazy. Yeah. What do you think about like, um, say, for example, if a coach before they got into the industry, they used to be, say, obese or overweight. They lost a lot all their weight, and that's why they got into the industry. And now they can better relate to the client who's trying to go through the same thing you did compared to a coach that's been fit their whole life, played a high-level sport, and now they're training everyday Joes. Um, I mean, you made a statement, but I'm not sure what question are you asking me. What um, do I think about it? What like Do you feel like those coaches that gone through the weight loss process, for example, have a better connection to their client and has a kind of like a edge to the trainer that's always been fit their whole life. Probably. Okay. Cause like I've seen it with different gyms that I've been at where, you know, like I w- I used to be the fat kid all the time and that's how I got into the industry is by losing all the weight. And I was like, I want to do this for everybody else. And then I have sure. all these other coaches that came in that, you know, applied high level basketball or they always almost made pro for football and then they're training, you know, Sally, mom of three, and they're trying to get them to, yeah, back squat 400. And I'm like, eh, I don't think that's what they want. <laughs> sure. Well, so I would say there's a twofold issue there. One, it, you've covered and you're 100% right. So from an emotional standpoint, there's a lot more relatability of understanding how it feels and dealing with the daily life, you know, challenges that it brings on and the mental hurdles, you know, and the minor setbacks and all these things, you know, sometimes you make a two step back one step forward kind of thing. That being said, um, it can also work against you because what happens is when you have such a deep emotional experience, um, and you have an emotional attachment to something, it can make you a bit more dogmatic in regards to thinking, well, what worked for me, what the, the way that finally worked, you know, I tried all these things and this is when it finally clicked. Then it makes you more dogmatic. And anytime somebody comes in with some evidence or challenges you and maybe says, yeah, well, you got results, but maybe it's because you did this and it's not for the explanation that you're providing, you're unlet, you're less likely to believe it because of your emotional, well, I don't, I don't care. I know what I saw. I know what I felt. So that's could be problematic. And not, and that we've seen that. And then on the other hand of that, um, you know, you'll have a certain, it'll have a certain emotional importance to you that may be frustrating that the other people who say the same things don't have the same emotion. And it may be harder for you to, you know, you keep thinking, well, it's just someone sort of just can't, doesn't get it, you know, it doesn't get it. So again, everything has to do with use, you know, you, you can benefit from your experiences, but really try to come at it from 
where the client is at. Yeah, I think that's why it's really important to kind of like have personal development as you go through this industry. Because if you're not trying to improve yourself and just do the same things that you've always been doing, eventually a client will figure out and be like, hey, I'm not really getting anything out of this because we've been doing the same templated program for the last three years. <laughs> yeah, look, it, trainers are, are can be considered in a similar way to like American football coaches, all right? And I'm sure this happens in other sports as well, but I'm going to use a football analogy here. You have some coaches who are system coaches who basically have a system and you know fit fit players into their system regardless of the player's skill set you have other people who look at the player's skill set and develop their system around the the player's skill set right now i personally think you're more versatile being the latter type of coach but some other people may not gravitate like if you're someone who came from a military background where you're used to people speaking authoritatively to you and very rigid and you deal well with that sort of disciplinarian, then you're not going to deal well with someone who's like that. Because you're like, man, this person's asking me questions. They're not ordering me around and telling me what to do So um, as much. So, you know, that just comes down to, you know, both can work. I would say one is obviously more flexible than the other. So most could, the other one could work with a more wider range of people, I would say. But... Um, you know, if you find the right people that tend to fit with whatever that system well that you have implemented, that can work too, which is why we have lots of different approaches and lots of people arguing about how their approach worked. And then when they get questioned, they go, well, I have all the testimonials to prove it. So it just shows there's lots of ways to get it done. Definitely. I always feel like the more I learn in this industry, it's like you're almost a parent to your clients and you just have to find the best way to get through them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true, you know, and, um, and and it depends. Again, you have to also draw the line, like I have, on how far you're even going to push getting getting through. Like, what is your service, and um, you know, and what is your where does your service end? You know what I mean? I think sometimes yeah. us trainers get when, when we start focusing on lifestyle, we, we we think our service never ends, and then we get a little frustrated that way. So sometimes you need to be. I, I've said this before, but there's a lot of arguments or, or not arguments, but discussions and trainers like to train, talk about themselves in different titles. Some people say, oh, I'm not a trainer. I'm a coach. And then you see people in sports, a performance specialist and so and so whatever. So, you know, aside from that, what I really think of is I look at it like this. It's all about how a client perceives you, where some people they want the full-on package, so they want the coach. By definition, coach is like stagecoach, getting you from point A to point B. So it's more than just what happens in the gym. So if that client wants that, then you provide that, and you'll find real quick by how they respond to it. So that is the person that probably wants the text messages every other morning, you know what I mean, and wants to come in to you with the food log, and they want that. They don't see it as nagging. Someone like me, I see that as nagging. Um... So then you have the trainer where the, the person who's looking just for a trainer is basically looking for someone who's a little bit more fine-tuned in the workouts that they're going to do, and maybe they're looking to do something today to get better for tomorrow. So they're training for something. And then you have what most people are looking for, or they perceive fitness professionals, and that's the PE teacher for adults. I haven't thought about this before I came in today. I'm not going to think about it after I leave. 
I'm here. What is my, I'm here at the gym, you know, for my four o'clock workout or whatever group, semi-private, private. Tell me what I'm going to do for my physical activity today. And then when I leave, I'm not giving this another thought. I didn't, this isn't checking off the box. Yeah. And that's the person who wants an experience and some motivation. And if you start asking them to food log and chase deadlift numbers, they're going to go, this is not fun. This is not what I'm interested in. And they're out. You know, they're going to, they're going to think this is not for me. So you have to know how they are perceiving you and, um, and help them as best you can. And sometimes they do morph. Sometimes the person who was looking for the PE teacher for adults, they didn't know that, eventually wants to get a little bit more, you know, uh, a little closer to the training end of things. But they got to come around to that on their own. Yeah, that's an interesting one where, say you're working with a client and, you know, they just came in to just move and just because they knew it was important and they stick around long enough and they yeah kind of evolve and they're like you know what i think i want to take this to the next level and i want more attention and i want yeah people checking on me every single day and it's kind of cool seeing like your clients almost grow with you and Mm -hmm. just because they stuck around long enough like that's why i keep telling my clients like it doesn't matter how much information you know about health and fitness it's what you do every single day consistently that will benefit your health Correct. Um, so let's kind of shift the gears the other way, that rather than fat loss and weight loss to muscle gain, because I haven't actually had anybody on the show yet to talk about it. And like almost every guy, regardless of what their goals are, they always want to gain more muscle and look like the guy on Men's Health magazine. What would your programming approach be if someone wanted to gain some mass and be ripped and all those other characteristics? Um, well, it depends on how often a week they're training is going to depend on my program and approach. I mean, um, if they're only training three times a week, uh, then I'm probably going to give them total body workouts because I got to give, try to, the goal is to try to get more volume in per muscle per week. They're training more like four or five times a week then I'll probably do some sort of like upper lower split. And if they're doing like six times a week, some people do train seven days a week. I've often trained seven days a week. I'm not saying every day is as hard as the other. Um, then I may do some sort of, you know, modified bro split, you know, push day, pull day, lower body day, um, because they're still getting plenty of volume in if they're training that often, you know, for each muscle group. So, um, and I know the research on the total body versus the, you know, uh, split routines. I've seen it all, but it's all still beneficial, you know. Um, and then we'll just put more volume. It's all about, you know, volume. It's a... Uh, put more volume on the muscle groups that they're trying to focus on bringing up the most i find a lot of guys don't like really understand how much time and effort it takes to actually gain muscle and then they just up and quit within like a couple months and not actually giving like say a full year of a solid try because it takes a lot of time to build solid muscle and keep it there yeah very true um so well there you go but that's also the uh, some of it's just the false impression that they have that it's going to happen quicker. or And it also goes to the fact that maybe they were trying something that was unrealistic. So here goes again where, you know, they anybody can train hard for a month, two weeks. Anybody can lose weight. Can you keep it off? So we should say the same thing. Anybody can train like, uh, like Arnold for a month. 
you know, can you train like him for a year, two, three, ten years? Um, so that's probably what it really comes down to is they went from hardly working out at all to doing some sort of like six day a week split and, you know, eating protein shakes an extra two protein shakes a day and six egg whites in the morning and all this stuff that we hear. And after a while, they're just like, this isn't for me. I can't sustain this. It's too expensive. And, uh, but that was their, you know, it was, they, they were just following a flawed approach that, that it was flawed for the long term. Could be that too. Yeah. Or could be they're just wanted, you know, they wanted short-term gratification. Like I always like looking at um, like the articles where they show like a certain celebrity prepping for a movie role where they had to like gain a lot of mass and things like that. And I remember reading about like Bradley Cooper when he was getting ready for the that sniper or American sniper movie. And he mm-hmm. was like working out twice in a day and then eating like something ridiculous, like 6,000 calories to put on mass on. And I'm looking at it like there's a lot of people that would like, you know, average Joe's that would love to put on that much mass, but here's actually what he did. And I'm like, I don't think an average person would be able to do this for the amount of time that Brad did it for. Yeah. I, I, I personally, and I'm not, I don't know any of the trainers who work with these people and I'm not, so I'm not saying this in a negative light, but let me say this. It would not shock me if, if all those celebrities, when they had those situations were, were pumping, some anabolics. I, if I was a celebrity and I needed to get as big as possible, I sure. Who, who, who cares? I'm not. I'm not fighting in the USC or the NFL. I would be pumping myself full, full of roids to get as big as I could for a movie role, especially fast. So I. Uh, I. I don't. I. I think that's. I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, nobody's testing them. Who cares? At that point. So um, I'm not saying it's you can't gain muscle. I'm not saying they're not working hard. But why wouldn't you do? I mean, heck, when you got. When you got millions of dollars at stake to make to make timelines, it's like, dude, we need you big, you know, in eight months, in ten months, uh, you know. Otherwise, we got to push this thing back every day. We lose five hundred thousand dollars in studio time and production time and whatever. You you think you're not gonna do everything you can to make sure you're big? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me the yeah, give me the needle. Give me the needle. You know what I mean. So, well, it's almost that, like that the norm now, there. right? It's like almost the norm now in movies, like. You could have a superhero movie come out and you have three months to prep and you read about the guy gaining like 40 to 60 pounds. You're like, huh, I wonder how that happened. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know I know weight training works, but there's just a point. You know, we all saw what happened in the 90s with baseball players. You know what I mean? I mean, like you see that. I mean, you saw these baseball players. They're all working out. They're doing strength conditioning. You know, Sammy Sosa comes in one year. He's 180. Next year, he's 210. One, you know, come on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm sorry. That's 30 pounds of muscle. You know, you could work out three hours a day. I, you know, I just don't see that happening. You know what I mean? There's, there's just some. <laughs> you know, we already know what that would happen there. So yeah, I, I, I just think I have every reason to believe that there's that's happening in movies. Yeah, I remember uh, reading Arnold's autobiography, and he was actually talking about when he was using steroids in his competition. And he compared it to what guys are using today. And he's like, I'm using like one sixteenth back in, was it, the 70s or 80s compared to what the guys are using right now. And I'm like, holy mm-hmm. crap, that's ridiculous. Like, how are you not like dying or something happening to your body? Mm, well, you know, maybe it's not. Who knows? I mean, that's yeah. another. I don't know enough about the science on it to uh, make any sort of comment that has sure. any sort of knowledge. 
Um, so to wrap it up, um, can you tell the people where they can find you online, if you have any new projects coming out, um, any products, things like that? Well, my website, nicktominello.com, you know, obviously you can find me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, yeah, we just filmed a new product, a video product that will be available for download. You know, so basically it'll be like a DVD product except a digital download version um, on power training. That will come out probably in March. Awesome. Um, still in production right now. And then I'm um, currently finalizing contract details with my book publisher to write a third book. I've already started writing it. Sweet. And it's slated for 2018 sometime. That's awesome. That would be great. Um, so I just want to thank you for all your time. This was awesome. And, yeah, it was great. Appreciate it, man. Well, appreciate all you're doing to help give people like myself a, a platform and you know, it's a service you're providing for free for everybody, so I hope they value that because it's not free to you. It costs you your time and that energy and things, so I hope everybody appreciates it. I know I do. All right, so that's going to wrap up Episode 31 with Nick Tuminello. Hopefully you guys got some great tips from him because he's a really knowledgeable coach. And again, check out the Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash cut the shit get fit. Email me if you have any questions, hit me up on social media, and we'll see you guys next week.